Hi guys and welcome to another edition of the Fox Unboxing Podcast. I'm Lukash as always and yeah, back after a skip week I didn't get to talk about Dog Bay versus Gonzalez because stuff came up and that's honest, I still, to be honest I still haven't seen it but um, this week we've got a couple of things to talk about and I will talk about sort of the, the big fight of the weekend um, Danny Garcia versus um, Jose Benavidez Jr. Um, with um, Garcia making his debut at 154 pounds but um, I'm going to start with the British fight the um, the more local affair between Chris Bill and Smith and Isaac Chamberlain because that was well let's be honest it was just a better fight also I watched it live and um, you know was just more invested in it but it was just a better fight it was a really it was a really fun one um, so I'll talk about that first and then I'll move on to Garcia versus Benavides so Chris Bill and Smith versus Isaac Chamberlain this fight is it's a cruiserweight fight for British and European titles and it's just a really great example of the way the British boxing system it's one thing that British boxing system is really good at because it really builds narratives and interest and stakes for a fight that you know a lot of the time our interest in boxing fights is registered on the relevance on where these fighters are going in the future or you know what are they going to do next you know especially if they're not already world champions but the British boxing system I mean it just gives there are various levels in it and the British title is sort of the, obviously the highest thing you can aim for and then you've got the English and local area. It just gives something to hang narratives off, something to hang interest off that isn't just going for world title level. And it means that Chris Bill Smith, who he make, he's going to go for world title level now. He's Jai um, Pattaya's promoter was in the building. I think it made him some sort of mandatory, but in any case, Pattaya's promoter was in the building. So they're clearly interested in making that fight next. But Bill Smith is, you know, he's not the kind of fighter who you would necessarily think of as having a huge following. And, you know, Bournemouth isn't, as far as I know, a boxing hotbed or anything. But, uh, I mean, the crowd in the building was wild. And being a British fight against Isaac Chamberlain, um, you know, it was, it was it's pretty, pretty decent stakes in it. And the thing is that both of these fighters have losses on their records. And neither was actually for the British title. Chamberlain lost to um, um, Lawrence O'Coley and um, William Smith lost to Richard Riakpour. And they were both for some WBA intercontinental, intercontinental trinket. But even back then there was, you know, some narrative in this in that fight because they were building on the British scene. And now they've both, you know, gone off and rebuilt their careers after those losses. Um, William Smith's a bit more momentum because um, Chamberlain had had promotional issues and then he had injuries and then he went to America to train and COVID hit so he's, he'd been out for a while um, and that may have come into the fight later like he was he fought earlier in the year no, at the end of last year I think but um, but he hadn't fought at this level since just after his loss like he fought one more against Luke Watson and that was the last time he fought a, fight, a guy of this calibre whereas um, Bill Smith has been sort of building to this level and at this level for a while now um, and I think that came into it I'll go into that when I start talking about that fight itself but, um, but yeah, it was just a really, it turned out to be a big event. Like the crowd in the building was nuts. And I think that fed into the fight. That's why I'm going, partly why I'm going on about this before I start talking about the fight itself. Um, as far as the fighters go, you know, they're both not young. Um, Bill and Smith is 32, Chamberlain is 28. So he's got a bit more time on his side, which is handy because he lost this fight. Um, so he's got more time to rebuild again. But Smith probably really needed this win if he is going to fight at world level. Um, you know, I don't know if it was going to come around again for him. But um, 
he was already 29, I think, when he, you know, 28 or 29. I mean, I'm not going to check the months exactly, but he was in that age when he lost to Riakpour in 2019. And he is very clearly a bit of fighter since then. He's put himself, he's fight, he's with Shane McGuigan and, you know, they've clearly worked on, they've just put, he's, he's become a really well put together fighter. You know, simple. He does the simple things. He's not a complicated fighter at all, but he does the simple things well and he kind of keeps going and going. Um, Isaac Chamberlain, you know, also a better fighter, I, I would say, than when he lost to Lawrence Coley. That fight was a grind. You know, it's one of those fights where even if you remember it, you don't remember it. It was a, it was horrible. It's one. Of, it's the fight like Coley's reputation as a wrestler is not unearned, but uh, you know, a lot of it does come from this fight, that fight, and with Chamberlain. And it wasn't all on Akoli. Um So he needed a good fight in the public eye to lose that tag as well. Uh, you know, same as Akoli fought against that tag, and, you know, Akoli's still fighting against that tag. Akoli is a wrestling fighter. Chamberlain, he needed to prove that he's not to the same extent. And, you know, he kind of did. Um, I mean, he did in, this, in the sense that this fight was really, really good. Um, insofar as there was clinching, the referee let them fight out of it. So, um, so it wasn't a, you know, just hugging into a clinch wasn't a refuge for him. And, uh, you know, that was part of the story of the fight as well. You know, going into it, the style, Bill Smith was going, to, was going to be easy to predict. What Bill Smith was going to do was um, come forward behind his jab, um, you know, with a high guard, reasonably active, but um, not complicated. And, um, and you know, just jab, jab in, go into the clinch and try to, you know, he was going to try to clinch to work out of a clinch, which was part of why Chamberlain just hugging wasn't going to, wasn't really going to work because, um, because Bennett Smith wants to be there to work. Like he knows what he's doing and there. He's coached in fighting in there. And he's also strong as a fucking ox. He's huge. Like um he's not tall massively tall. He's six foot three, so he's a tall cruiser. But he's built like a tank, like he's square. Um Chamberlain is I think slightly taller, but um, a bit more lean. You know, he's not lean. He's he's also a tank. But compared to Ben Smith, he's a he's not quite as square. Um and he's more of a He's more of a rounded fighter in the sense that um, I think he tries to do more, you know, his game plan, it tends to be more complex. He is more happy, you know, he'll go onto the back foot if he uh, feels a need. Not that Bruno Smith didn't, but he wasn't really doing anything of that. Like, it's just jabbing, jabbing back off. Whereas Chamberlain is happy playing off the back foot, but then he's also happy going on the front foot. Um, they both have good jabs. The story of the fight was going to be about who won the jab battle to a certain extent and it was you know back and forth like the fight was uh, my prediction going in well my prediction was going to be that uh, Bill and Smith's um, more experience at this level and more recent experience at this level was going to count because he knew he was going to know and be confident in being able to push through at through 12 rounds at this sort of level and you know keep to his game plan at this sort of level, whereas Chamberlain, I think, has been working on things coming into the fight, but he hasn't been tested at this level. So, so his thing of he had two two problems before, which I think cost him to look at Coley, um, and showed up against Luke Watson back way back when, even though he won that fight, was that he tends to retreat off the jab and that he tends to fall in, you know, in, fall into the clinch. And he had been working on coming forward behind the jab, but was he going to be able to do that against Bill and Smith? And again, the answer was sometimes. Um, 
and also kind of because of the other thing that he started the fight doing pretty well was he would retreat behind the jab but he also just he had a plan he did he was sort of inviting bill and smith on and he'd jab and move back and then hold and counter and that was a lot of his plan was to try to get bill and smith use bill and smith's momentum against him and try to get him to walk more counter shots and that worked to a certain extent um throughout the fight um you know every time bill and smith would get a bit of momentum together uh, he'd walk onto something, feel it a bit, and back off. And there was, you know, it was just a fight where you know, one would get the other hand, upper hand and the other would get the upper hand. Um, it was a dicey game for Chamberlain. That that was a problem for him because that was a lot of his game plan was to use, you know, he couldn't, he tried to push him back on occasions and sometimes he did, but he couldn't consistently do it. So he was, you know, it was a smart plan to have that idea of, stepping back and inviting Chamberlain forward um, and trying to punish him for it. But the problem was there's the fine line between punishing him for it and then him walking through that shot anyway and getting him to the clinch. And Billum Smith was, for the most part, much more prepared in the clinch. Um, the referee was very good at letting them work out of it, so that was good to see. And, yeah, um, there was a lot of... Um, in the clinch, there was a lot of... Um, Chamberlain trying to hold on and just getting worked over and also worked over hit on the disengage. There were a few times where he did his own work, like, don't get me wrong, he wasn't incompetent, but um, Bidman Smith definitely had the advantage in there. But he did show vulnerability, and I think he felt vulnerable um, approaching, and that was important. There was an interesting moment because um, through the middle rounds, um, I can't remember exactly which round this happened in, but um, sort of through the middle rounds, Bill Smith seemed to be tiring more than he used to be, or at least he wasn't confident. He didn't seem to be confident in his gas tank, and he didn't seem to be confident in his ability to wear away at Chamberlain before Chamberlain and wore, wore away at him. So what he was doing instead was, you know, sort of letting Chamberlain work a little bit, keeping his energy in the first two minutes of the round, and then finishing strong. You know, pretty standard strategy to um, to win rounds, and he was, you know, he was winning rounds, but he wasn't really pushing through, pushing through like he usually does. And there was one round towards the end, sort of in the latter third, where Shane McGoohan went like, I mean, he was very uh, stark with him. You know, like, we, we're, what are you here for? What did you be trained for if this is what you're going to do? Which I think was a little bit harsh, but, um, but he also was like, you're not tired. He's tired. You're not tired. He's tired. Keep going, go and get him. And that was an important part of the fight because after that, Ben Smith, I think in the round immediately after, Ben Smith came out, pushed quite hard for the first 30 seconds. Then he looked like he was going to back off and then he got his gloves together, kept pushing and carried on going forward. And that was the moment where he sort of took over the fight where Billum Smith started to actually really push through and Chamberlain did start to fall apart a bit. And he, you know, he pretty dominate. He pretty much dominated the last uh, few rounds, apart from the very end, which I'm going to get to at the end. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting moment because that was one moment where it just became really, like, to me, I, I wasn't in their heads, so I can't know for sure. But um, where the psychology, the mentality, is so important in a fight because it looked like Billum Smith just didn't believe that he could push through. And, you know, that he wasn't just wasn't sure how Chamberlain was going to react. And so he wasn't confident in himself to push through for the four, three rounds. And when he started doing that, 
and he saw that Chamberlain was indeed not comfortable with him doing that, then he really started to take over. Um, it was also from both guys a lot of body work, but Bill and Smith more, you know, I would say. Uh, but, you know, it's a really big part of Bill and Smith's game is a jab, jab, body work, just shoving around. He's really a tiring fighter. Like, he's not he's not fast, he's not rapid. He's not, um, he's not a, you know, Usyk type. He's just kind of relentless. He does move in kind of straight lines, you know. This is the thing when he goes up to world level, whether he's going to be able to to keep up with fighters who can move a bit faster. But, um, but he's just going to be difficult to dissuade. He's very hard to hurt. Um, but again, we'll talk about the end at the end. It's not controversial. Well, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not really controversial. It's just uh, exciting. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was just a really thorough, just a relentless performance. And Chamberlain, you know, like I say, Chamberlain had his ideas and he had his moments. And, he, you know, he was winning rounds early on and through the middle rounds. And he was hurting, um, he hurting... Uh, and Smith, which I th- you know, I think that was a, this was a part of that conversation I'm talking about between um between Bill and Smith and his coach and McGuigan was that um Chamberlain was actually hurting him. He had reasons to be unconfident and sort of it was just a sort of psychological game from McGuigan to convince him that that wasn't happening, and it just convinced him just enough to push him through. And because I did check in the meantime, it was at the end of. Uh, round nine, so it was round 10, 11, 12, they pushed through, and it was those championship fights that ultimately, you know, put the seal on it. Um, yeah, it was just a really good fight of two fighters of different types, but similar level, um, you know, the tight guard, and, you know, if you're interested in, because this is supposed to be a technical te- technical breakdown podcast, so we, we can talk about that for a little bit, if you're interested in that, um, yeah, Benham Smith is, like I say, a sort of bread and butter fighter, Um you know, jab up, uh, jab, heavy jab, guard up. Um, he can go on the back foot, and he, when he goes on the back foot, he kind of drops his hand and nardi da. But he's a front foot fighter, and that's what his game's built around. He varies the rhythm pretty well, but not the angles. And um, that is part of his problem, kind of, because, um, but not always, because against Tommy McCarthy, both times, McCarthy is a sort of, um, you know, um, his, the idea behind what Tommy McCarthy's doing is similar to what Chamberlain was doing, which is that Bill Smith rolls forward and you try to come around him. The difference was that um, Tommy McCarthy really had no ability to compete with Bill Smith in the centre ground, so he was only going around the outside and he was just off balance all the time, and um, and he couldn't land really anything really damaging. And the first fight was, um, you know, it was quite close but fairly convincing. The second fight was kind of a beating by the end. Um, in this round, in this fight, um, Chamberlain was, you know, he was competing with Bill Smith down the centre, making him defend that centre line and protect himself down the centre. Then he was coming around the edge, and he, because of that, he was well planted, well set to do so, and that's where most of his success came in, was coming around the edge of the high guard. So that, you know, that, that is a Bill Smith weakness, the, the edges of the high guard. The Bill Smith strength is just making the place in front of him, the space directly in front. It's something I talk about quite a bit, and Bill Smith is just sort of one of the really obvious exponents of it, of making just the place in front of you being a really unpleasant and difficult place to be and to stay. Um, and even, he, like, like I say, Champlain is much better at holding it than Tommy McCarthy, but he did start to kind of fold and be pushed around and and climb apart at the edges. Um, 
yeah, it's kind of difficult to nail down why, because, you know, holding the centre is a fairly, you know, it's kind of the thing about boxing. Making the space in front of you be unpleasant is the aim of boxing. And so kind of nailing down why Chamberlain is better at it than other you know, basic boxers coming forward behind a guy guard is hard to nail down, but it's to do with his timing and to do with his, you know, his, he's got a good range of punches. He generates power really well in close, which is part of the thing. He's dangerous at all ranges. You know, he's, he's dangerous at distance. He's dangerous when you're getting close. So there's no real safe space with him. And, you know, that's what Chamberlain also, you know, if you're a guy who's not sure about your gas tank, you've been out for so long, you haven't fought at this level for outrageous natures, and there's no way you can go to get a rest. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky. Anyway, I said I was going to talk about the end, so I will. It's you know, it wasn't. I mean, it was high drama. It was the final round. Both of them. Um, the final round. Champion's corner told him you have to get a knockout. You're like you're not. We're down in the cards. You have to get a knockout, um, which was true. It may you know, Chamberlain winning enough rounds to score a victory might not have been a robbery. It would have been, you know, people would have called it robbery and they probably wouldn't have been out of order. But um, but it was one of those where it was so, like I didn't score and it was so rough and rough tumble in the middle that really there were several rounds that could have gone either way, especially with Dennis Smith doing the thing of, you know, pushing the final minute. But, um, but yeah, he started going for the knockout and... I mean, I think it's fair, almost fair to say that he got it, but he knocked Billen Smith, like Billen, he really hurt Billen Smith in the final 10 seconds to the point where Billen Smith was, he looked like he was hanging on the ropes and it's hard to tell from the angle we just saw, but it looks like Billen Smith genuinely knocked him out with the one shot and then woke him up with the next. So if he hadn't hit him with the follow-up, the ref might have stopped it. Like, I'm not saying the ref should have stopped it or that it was a robbery that he didn't stop it because, you know, Bennett Smith got up and defended pretty much instantly. He may have just slipped onto the ropes and been hanging there from that angle. It looked weird. But um, but he was definitely hurt. He was definitely reeling. It was just a really, you know, it would have been such an ending if that fight had ended there. But even where they didn't, it was um, it was just a really good fight. It was just a good fight that I recommend catching up on. Um you know, especially if you like your British fights. And this is a British cruiserweight, so and there are a lot of good fights. There are a lot of good fighters. Um, you know, Cody's a champion. Ben Smith isn't going to fight Cody because they're gym mates and they're good friends and all of that. But all of the other option fights on the table, um, you know, there's just a whole lot. Admittedly, a lot of them are former victims of either React Porter or Cody, um, you know, including both of these guys. But, um, you know, you, you've got React Poor and Bill Smith will want, his rev- will want a revenge fight. You've got Jack Massey, also a victim of React Poor. Isaac Chamberlain. Uh, Michael Lawal isn't a victim of either guy. He's still unbeaten. Sort of trying to generate momentum. He was on this card as well, won by KO. I didn't see that fight yet. But um, but he's pretty, you know, if I recall, if he's a guy I'm <laughs> recording, he's pretty exciting. And he's, um, you know, he's 27, so slightly younger than either. Uh, there is a... Um, there was another guy that they pushed on the card, Vidal Riley. He's got a lot to prove because he's mostly been fighting basically no hopers, but he seems to have some skills. Just a whole bunch. Just a whole bunch of guys at British level that, um, you know, promotion allowing, they can throw in with each other. And a lot of them, like I say, um, I think React Paws with Sky. Bruno Smith obviously definitely is. Chamberlain obviously is. Uh, Dan Juma fought, uh, well, 
he loves to react for <laughs> a little while back. So, um, so he's in this. Uh, he's you know he's available. There's just a whole bunch of fights that can be made, and so you know even as at world level cruiserweight isn't what it was a few years ago at British level it's just really strong. So it'll be fun to watch. The other thing that I want to mention on this card, the other fighter is um, Ben Whitaker making his debut. Here he is an Olympian. He won silver at um, at the Tokyo Olympics, and now he's at light heavyweight, and he was making his debut. And it, you know, it was one of those debuts. He was against um, Greg O'Neill, who's um, six and six. Uh, what was he six and um, yeah? Well, he's six six one now, so he must have been six five coming into it. But uh, any case, the point being. He isn't Ben Whittaker's class, and Ben Whittaker is such a dickhead. He is such an asshole, and I mean that. In, I mean, I mean that as a compliment. But a lot of you are going to hate him, and I fully understand why because he was fully showboating from the off against this, you know, guy who was brought in to lose to him. Just he's a f- he's a wanker, but he's doing it on purpose. Very clearly, he's in there to be a heel. He's using the wrestling gimmick and he's going to be he's going to be a heel and that's his aim he's also pretty good so you know how good he turns out to be it's hard to say um you know he won the um silver in the in the uh, tokyo how his game translates to the pros is going to be interesting to see because um he doesn't seem to have any power but he knocked his guy out so if he had finds a timing you know at this way if you find a timing you've got some power. Like, it's not one of those where you can just wail and wail on guys and they'll never fall over. If you can find the right timing, you find your power. Um, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to watch and it's going to be enjoyable because it's going to just... he's going to piss people off. Um, yeah, that's really all I've got to say because the fight itself wasn't much of one. He was kind of backing off, backing off and then uh, in the beginning of the second round, he bonked him. Um, yeah, there's not, you know, the rest of the card... There were fighters on it. Um, Carolyn Dubar fought. Um, Fraser Clark fought again. I don't really see that much upside for Fraser Clark at heavyweight as a pro, but um, we'll see how that goes. So, um, you know, we'll just move on to the other card. Well, mainly onto the main event because I didn't see the rest of the card. Um, these American cards are in the night my time, and sometimes I just don't either have the time or the will to. You know, if there's a really big card, card, big fight that I need to talk about, then I will. But um, what I'm saying is, um, whether you know, I have to work and do other stuff. So what I'm saying is, I'm not necessarily going to get up in the middle of the night or find time afterwards to watch Adam Kubnetsky get uh, have a you know, a pa- by all accounts, quite a fun fight, but one-sided and. Uh, you know, a little bit sad fight with Demi Rezin. So I'm not going to talk about the fight. I'm not. I'm just going to talk about the main event, um, Garcia versus um, Jose Benavidez. <laughs> and off front with you, I had to re-record the segment because I did find it a little tough to talk about. Partly because you know I didn't watch the fight live. I'm sort of catching up with it uh, as I go. And with Danny Garcia, you know, I'm kind of um, I wouldn't say I'm ambivalent towards him. Um, I don't love him as a, you know, neither as a fighter or as a character, but he is a fighter, you know, if you're a technical sort of breakdown guy, and I am, he is a fighter to kind of study because he's, he just does kind of everything right. Um, or rather, he does a lot of things wrong. 
but he kind of he has a bit of everything and he can do anything you know a lot of different things and he'll do whatever he needs to win the fight my problem with this fight was that Jose Benavides Jr. was well firstly an odd choice of opponent for the purposes of what this seems to be which was Garcia's moving up to 154 pounds and needs to test himself at the weight um and while Benavides Jr. is clearly bigger than him He's mostly fought at the same size as him. He hasn't fought for four, or he fought he hadn't fought for four years after getting knocked out by Terence Crawford, and then he came back and fought at essentially one sixty, um, which was by all accounts a bit of a controversial draw um, back in I think it was November. Um, yeah, it was November against Francisco Manuel Torres. It was a mixed decision, and I didn't watch the fight, but um, apparently it was quite controversial. I watched some highlights in the build up. Um, and, you know, yeah, he was doing the Benavides things of being hysterically vulnerable while he was throwing. And that was part of my read coming into the fight was that I thought Garcia would just be able to kind of clack him while he was throwing and engaging and win the fight that way. Part of the reason the fight is a little difficult to talk about is that Benavides didn't really engage. Like, I don't know whether he didn't engage because he knows Garcia would be able to counter punch him into oblivion or whether he couldn't because his footwork is also pretty shit and so Garcia's constant little movements and timing like Garcia's really good at spoiling a rhythm and Benavides just wasn't able to get going at all and so that may have been part of it um and there was also just a lot of fronting on bravado and going oh yeah you didn't hurt me with that shot but not following up on it you know not coming back with anything which is something that i find very irritating and a lot of people watching also found very irritating but in any case it's a slightly difficult fight to talk about because it's hard to know you know it's really easy to see the things garcia did it's hard to know how much of that was you know a tactical decision of trying things out at this weight and how much of it was just okay benavides isn't doing anything here so i'm just gonna win the easiest possible way which was you know he did engage a bit like he did throw some combinations and um you know he landed most of what he threw in them because benavides defense is shocking um but a lot of the time he just sort of stayed at a distance throwing jabs and you know one twos and one two three or one two threes and just three punch combinations essentially just a little engaging in little bursts and stepping off and you know i wouldn't call it easy but benavides didn't make him think really you know he had to be careful but he didn't make him think or really sort of engaged with the fight on a tactical level so it's just difficult for me to talk about you know i can talk about danny garcia as a whole and how he's got this tricky rhythm and this you know if you're going to study one thing in this fight it's um how he used his head movement and his feet but um his head movement isn't flashy it's just nice simple basic head movement of him constantly being off center line and off you know his balance shifted back and forth and made it really difficult for Benavides to judge his range. And like I say, that may have been the reason Benavides just didn't really want to throw as much as he really needed to be doing. Um, yeah, and you know, he he just he just does everything. You know, t- not tidy. Tidy would be the wrong word. His form can be sometimes very bad, but um, you know, he does the right things at the right times when he needs to do them. And in this case, it was you know, jab, jab, move, step in clip him and he was working upstairs and downstairs body and head um he was never in danger of knocking benavides jr out i don't think but um he was also never in danger of losing despite one of the cards being a draw yeah you know i've, I've got it up front here like um 
when Garcia fights an opponent who is really going to engage him, then I'll be able to talk about him with real interest and and break the shit down and what actually happened. Because this fight was so weird, you know, all I can really say is, you know, Garcia, you may find find him frustrating. And if you've been a boxing fan for a few years now, you will almost definitely have found him irrit- irritating back in the days when he was beating up Rotalka. It was a if you weren't back under back in the days, that was a ridiculous mismatch. It was um, you know, Salka was a regional fighter from like two weights below that Garcia dragged up to knock out. And then he also had, um, which I mentioned in my preview, both of these guys have robbery victories over Mauricio Herrera. And so he earned a lot of um, bad blood, bad, you know, fans didn't like him. And then, you know, his dad is an absolute asshole. So that didn't endear him to fans at all. But, um, but you know, he himself seems pleasant enough. Um, I didn't see the post-fight interviews, but by just reading about them. He apparently talked about his mental health and uh, how he struggled with depression and things, which, you know, is not uncommon for boxers. Um, it's much more, becoming more common to talk about that now. That kind of puts a different spin on, you know, certain things we've seen from him. Just, you know, the way he presents himself. But, um, yeah, there just isn't that much to say about this fight. Like, it was a, it was a dominant performance without being an absolute beating. It wasn't exciting, but it wasn't boring either. It was just kind of, you know, you know, it's not going to, no one who watched it is going to remember it for very long. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to pretend. It was, it was, you know, he's a good fighter who put on a good performance and it's worth watching some of it, especially if you want to talk, study. Like I say, if you want, if you're a technical, you know, if, if you're a fighter who's interested in, managing range, especially managing distance with your upper body movement. Garcia's performance in this fight is a good place to start. Like you will have to watch more because Benavidez's flaws means it's hard to say, you know, hard to contextualize how much was really effective in its own right if he was fighting someone really good at closing with him. But you know, this is a good fight to study. Garcia's a good fighter to study for making things awkward with his constant upper body um, head movement with a good active high guard here it's just this thing with, with Danny Garcia there's nothing he does that you can point to that you can go this is terrible there's nothing that you can does that you can point to that makes you go wow it's just a lot of really good high level untidy but really high level stuff um, yeah it's you know watch a few minutes of this fight you're not going to be enthralled you're not going to want you know, necessarily watch the whole thing unless you're really studying um, but you know, if if you are coming into boxing, and especially if you you know want to learn the technical stuff, you know Garcia is a good fighter to look at. You know, he's, you're not going to use him as a teaching tool necessarily, per se. But he doesn't. He just does so many things right, and also so many things wrong, but effectively, he's a good. You know, he's he's cool. He's he's. You know, I don't dislike Danny Garcia. I um, I'm never going to be a fan fan, but he always he'll be. Yeah, he's always one to look out for, but it does depend on his opponent. And in this case, you know, I'm sorry. Um, as big a fan as I am of David Benavides Jr., Jose Benavides, his weird-ass career and his, um, you know, fighting basically no one of note and then losing to Terence Crawford and then a fight, you know, it, it, it just isn't enough there for me to be like, oh, yeah, he's fighting Danny Swift Garcia. Just no. Um, so Garcia's next move... Um, he called out Terence Crawford, not Terence Crawford, he called out um, 
Keith Thurman, which I understand. Um, at 154, I don't really know if Thurman's going to be up for that. He also called out Lara, which is weird because Lara used to fight at 154, but he doesn't anymore. He's a middleweight. If he can come back down, that fight makes more sense than this one in the sense that Lara is actually a, um, a super middleweight. And, you know, if he has anything left, he will present some risk to Garcia. It does run the risk of being incredibly boring. But then if we get latter career, Lara, who comes in, who's been coming out to Storm Fighters and have, you know, exciting fights, it may be worth something. So, you know, um, that is of the two options, probably the more worthwhile one for Garcia in career terms. Obviously, he wants that win back. So, you know, I'm not going to tell him not to chase Keith Thurman. Um, yeah, for prospects at him in this division, you know, I think he's too small to compete at the very top, but this fight again one of the reasons you know it just it didn't tell you anything like it didn't tell you anything about whether Garcia can hang with a Sebastian Fundora or a um, or a Tim Chu or basically really anyone at this weight um, who is you know competitive at the very top he would be you know an interesting test for fighters coming up but I don't think that's where Garcia wants to be you know he's 34 so he's at the sort of end of his prime but he isn't at the stage where he's like given up on himself um, you know I saw someone mention Erickson Lubin as a potential opponent for him you know maybe that would be interesting Tony Harrison I don't know how, how makeable any of these are it's just you know it's, there are clearly interesting fights for him in this division which fights are the most interesting is impossible to say because it's just hard to say how well he takes the weight. Like if you can take the weight and really take the punches, then you know um, him against. Okay, I think Fandora would melt him. I think Fandora is too big. Him against people like maybe Castagna or Tim Chu, probably also too big. You know, it's just hard. To, it's just I can't say. You know, skills wise, yes, he's a match for Tim Chu and Sebastian Fandora. Why they can match him for size and weight? Just it's just not possible to say. Um, yeah, so I'm going to stop trying to talk about it now. Um, yeah, like I say, on the on the card, we also saw Adam Kovnatsky get beaten up by Demi Rezin. Well, we saw, I didn't. And, you know, there are a couple of other things, but uh, because I didn't watch, I'm not going to talk about it. Next week, um, 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 a lot. Next week is another one of those. Look, it's, it's the summer holidays for boxing. The really big fights are on the horizon, but not here yet. Um... Virgin Ortiz versus Michael McKinson shouldn't be much of a contest. McKinson just shouldn't be in Ortiz's class, or rather, he's the kind of level where Ortiz might find something out, but to find something out about Ortiz, you need to be able to really hit, and McKinson has displayed no power, so he's just probably going to get swamped, but who knows. Uh, Michael Collin is coming back from that fight of the year candidate, um, with Lee Wood, which he lost, so he's fighting with Mariaga, which quite frankly is a pretty decent comeback fight. And um, you know, the one I'm interested in is not a high level fight, but um, Dalton Smith is fighting Sam Mason. I may have got that pronunciation wrong, but um, I'm just going to say it that way. Uh, and you know, how embarrassing is it to maybe get a British or the Irish pronunciation wrong? Anyway, the point being, he's fighting for a British title, and Dalton Smith is big old. Um, prospect so so that's interesting if he wins the British title you know relatively but not completely early because I'm not familiar with his opponent I can't say how much winning it would prove you know I will try to do a preview and then I will know more um, 
I can't say even right now how much Dalton Smith winning would prove of him as a prospect at world level, but winning a British fight title is significant, and he's a really cool prospect. So let's let's see how he goes. And that fight is kind of stacked with prospects. You know, he's got um okay prospects with guys being built up: Campbell Hatton, Johnny Fisher, Hopi Price. You know, with these kind of guys who've been doing the the match from cards for a while. Um, yeah, that's it's a kind of a middlingly busy weekend like I say I will I aim to do a preview at this stage because of stuff I'm not promising you know anything but um, I should do a preview and I should have a podcast next week follow me at Crafty Boxing follow the fight site at the fight site join our Patreon which is starting to get busy again so you know definitely join that um, where you also get onto the Discord and chat with us there and I will see you next time